You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You can be seated. And good morning, 10 o'clock, if you want to, get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that'd be great if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're walking through the book of 2 Corinthians this summer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. I only have two points today, heaven and reconciliation. It sounds like a short sermon, we'll, we'll see. Well, we don't talk about heaven as much as our spiritual forefathers and foremothers did. Why, why is that? I think it's because we're pretty comfortable here on earth. I mean, we're able now through technology and and medicine to either mitigate or eliminate most pain. Uh, We're able to insulate against most uh, discomfort. I mean, think about it, royalty from just 150 years ago would be jealous on how we live life today. It's kind of difficult to get excited about heaven and get excited about a new body because most of us are comfortable most of the time. All right, are you in 2 Corinthians chapter five? Then let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter four. Just go back one one verse to get a good running start there. So 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse 18, just the very last, last verse of chapter four, then we'll go straight into chapter five. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, just like the spirit is speaking to Highland this morning. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or or just temporary, but the things that are unseen, those things are eternal. Now, remember, Paul did not say right here, end of thought, close down chapter four, let's start a brand new thought in a brand new chapter. He kept on writing. We are the ones in the year 1560 that put chapters and verses to our Bible. And so Paul just keeps on writing his letter. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse one. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good, good courage. Excuse me. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim, our goal, to please Him, to please God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Here's my first point, heaven. I just have two points today, but I'm gonna kill you on the sub point. So here's the first point, heaven. First sub point is this. Our our present bodies are not designed to be permanent, but our souls are. Our bodies are referenced here as a tent in verse one, in verse two, in verse four. Something that is temporary, something that you fold up, something that you, you fold up and put away after you're finished with it. Interesting that Paul would use this analogy because Paul is a tent maker. We know this from Acts chapter 18. 
So Paul is acquainted with how unstable and how destructible and, and again, how temporary a tent is, much like our bodies, wobbly and, and flimsy. And in this body, in this temporary tent, we do two things according to verse two. We groan and we long for. We groan for and we long for what? We long for the permanent. We feel incomplete, which is why it feels like we're missing something. So Paul uses the word in in verse three, naked. Or if you're from East Texas, naked. But same word, naked. (laughs) I'm assuming you've, you've had those dreams before, haven't you? That you show up at work, or at school, and there's a piece of your clothing that's, that's missing? Am I the only one that's had that, that dream before? Okay, good. <laughs> I feel like I was having one right now, making sure my pants are on. So yeah, sometimes we have those dreams, like something feels incomplete, something feels like it's, it's missing. This is really the picture that Paul is saying here. There, there's something that isn't 100% right. So Paul uses that word naked. There's a lacking, there is an incompleteness. I said this last week, I'll say it again. You, you are not a body with a spirit. You are a spirit with a body because your spirit lasts forever. Your body lasts for approximately 78 years, which has actually gone down a little bit in the last 24 months. So our, our bodies do not last forever. So there's a longing in our spirit, our spirit which is eternal and permanent to be matched up with a place and with a body that is also eternal and permanent. So this life here and this body here are, 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 are not at all everything that there is. In other words, this body and our time here on earth, this is not all that there is. And we know this, we understand, even in the back of our minds, that our bodies are not permanent. I mean, you can nip it and you can tuck it and you can medicate it and you can diet it and you can exercise it and you can tan it and you can dress it up, but these present bodies are not designed to be permanent. And we spend a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort to try to feel complete or to try to feel satisfied here in this life, but we never are. C.S. Lewis, in his very substantial book, Mere Christianity, writes, and you see it on the screen behind me, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I mean, we crave belonging, and we crave permanency, and, and all of this in this house, we want to be known. We don't find any of that fully here on earth, but we find all of that, completeness and satisfaction and belonging and, and permanency and being fully known in Christ's heaven. Second thought about heaven, heaven is our new home and we'll experience it in a new body. We see this in verse one of chapter five, that we're gonna be clothed with a building that is, verse one, eternal. Then Paul says in verse two, we'll be clothed with this this heavenly dwelling. Now, Paul is not talking about, this is kind of confusing, he's not talking about a place, he's talking about our body, a new body. And you can see this more clearly in verse four, that our spirit doesn't wanna be clothed in something that is mortal. Our, Our spirit, our soul does not wanna be clothed with or wrapped up with something that has an expiration date or is so weak like our flesh or so susceptible to falling apart like our flesh is, but our spirit wants to be, verse four, swallowed up or covered up by life. Our soul wants to be fully covered by something that is new and something that's lasting and and something that is permanent. And Paul has already told the church at Corinth about this new body. And by the way, before we turn there, this this is good news because one day you're gonna face death, either the death of someone else that you love or your own death. 
And so Paul speaks about this new body, this resurrection body. We sang it in the song Hymn of Heaven a few moments ago. So your Bible right now should be open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just go back about four or five pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because Paul has already talked through this new body that believers have with the church at, at Corinth. He just wrote it about wrote about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Just look at verse 42 through 44 with me. Verse 42 of chapter 15, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, our bodies in, in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, and Highland, you know that there is because you can look at your hand and your arm right now and realize there is such thing as a natural body, then the Holy Spirit told Paul to tell us then there's also a spiritual body. Look at this, verse 14. Sown, perishable. Our bodies placed into the ground, perishable, but raised on the day of resurrection, imperishable. So our bodies are put into the ground. Those bodies were never going to make it anyway. They're never going to be forever, never going to make it forever. In fact, you probably know this, the mortality rate of humanity is running right at 100%. Like we're, 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 we're going to head in that direction, but our new bodies, they'll never die. Sown perishable, but raised imperishable. Verse 43, they're sown in dishonor, but they're raised in glory. These old bodies of ours, they're gonna be dishonored when our spirit leaves, when our soul leaves. I won't go into great detail, but in my profession, I have been with many a person when they breathe their last. And about 10 minutes after that, their body becomes dishonored. The glory is gone. The beauty is gone because the spirit is gone. The soul is gone. We, we, we see here that our, our new bodies, however, are not only glorious, but they are forever glorious, the beauty is there. The beauty is restored. The glory is restored. Verse 43, our bodies are sown in weakness, but they're raised in power. We, we will die one day because our bodies are too weak to handle the cancer or the heart attack or the car wreck or the virus, but we're raised in this indestructible power. Verse 44, we're sown natural, but we're raised spiritual. Some of your translations say, and I like this actually a little bit better, that we're sown in the natural, but we're raised in the supernatural. That as our bodies are laid in the ground, they're natural bodies, but our raised bodies, our bodies for heaven, are spiritual. They are supernatural. And Paul wants to encourage us in this book that not only are the weak made strong in Christ, but our weak bodies will be made strong in our new home, in our new place. Next point is a quick point. While here, we live in confidence because of God's spirit and because of our faith. When I say while here, I mean like while in Waco while we're still living in the natural body, while we're still living in this, this body that one day will be a body of dishonor as it's laid into the ground, while we're here, while we're in Waco, while we're here in, on, on this planet, while we're here on earth, we can still live in confidence because of God's spirit and because of our faith. We see this in chapter five. If you're still in 1 Corinthians 15, like I was just then, go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter five. We see this in, in verse six and we see this in verse eight where we're told to be of good courage. Paul says it in verse six. He says it again in verse eight. Your Bible might say, be confident. Some Bibles actually say, be of good cheer. I think it'd be very important to note here as we're in this passage that though we look forward to heaven and though we look forward to a new body, it doesn't mean that we just sit here on earth sullen in a corner 
just twirling our thumbs while we wait for our time to be called to go to heaven. No, scripture tells us that while we're still here, we live with courage. We live with good courage. We live with confidence. We live with great cheer because, and how can we live with good courage here in this, in this, on this earth, here in this town? Verse five, because we have, Christian, we have the spirit of the living God in us. And also we live, verse seven, we live by faith and not by sight. So while we're here, we can live in confidence. We can live in courage in Waco. We can live in courage here in Texas. We can live here in courage with, on this planet because we have the spirit of the living God inside of us and because of the faith that we have, we now live life by faith and not by sight. Lastly, heaven will be joyful for all believers, but not the same for all believers. Heaven will be joyful for all believers, but not the same for every believer. Now that I have your attention, let's see what this means. There's some very interesting verses here in, in chapter five. Let's go back and read verses nine and 10 together. So 2 Corinthians chapter five, verses nine and 10. So whether we are at home or away, meaning home like in this fleshly body or we're away from that body, we make it our aim to please God. This becomes the goal of every follower of Christ, to please him, to please God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in this body while we lived here in this tent, whether it was good or evil, whether it was, it was good or, or not so good. So our aim here, verse nine, is to please God because of verse 10, all Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In, in Greek, it's the word bima. You may have heard of the bima seat before. There is still a bima seat in Corinth. I've seen it before. It, it is a place from which awards or trophies or medals or crowns were handed out to the winners of the Isthmian Games, which was the predecessor to the Olympic Games. So this, this Bema seat is a place of evaluation. It is a place from which awards and crowns and medals are, are handed out. And so we see here that, that when Christians, when we die, we actually stand before that Bema seat. Now we stand before that Bema seat, Christian. We do not have to give any account for any sin, any rebellion in our lives because that has been nailed to the cross. We bear it no more. Colossians chapter two, verse 14. So when we come before Christ, we don't give an account for our sin because our sin has already been transferred over to Jesus, but we do. Please hear this. Some of you are gonna wish you weren't here today because now you've been warned. You'll have to give an account for your life lived in this flesh. Let me give you some, some, some thoughts. You will receive a reward or a crown for the way that we chose to live our lives for Jesus, the way we exercised our spiritual gifts, the way we gave generously, the, the way that we, we spoke to one another. In fact, even Jesus said, you'll be held in judgment for every careless word you ever spoke, which makes me wanna stop talking between now and heaven. Like we'll have to give an account of our, of our lives. There'll be rewards for sharing the gospel. There will be rewards for suffering and enduring in that suffering. There'll be an award for those who longed for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. A reward for remaining faithful in difficult days. And some Christians will get them and rejoice. Other Christians will not receive these rewards, but they'll still enter into heaven because I have about 80% of you looking at me with a very confused face. Let me take you back either in your own Bible or on the screen to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter three, verses 11 through 15. Paul, again, he's already talked about this with, with the church there at Corinth. But I think it's important for every believer in Christ to see this today. 
First Corinthians chapter three, beginning in verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than the foundation that's already been laid, and that is a person, Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone, if any Christian builds on that foundation of Christ with gold or silver or precious stones, those are good works. Or you build on that foundation with wood, hay, and straw. That's works that are flimsy. Or works that were self-motivated or self-centered. Each one's work will become manifest, just a big word for will be seen, for the day, capital D, the day of Christ's return, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So when that fire comes, the gold stands. In fact, the gold stands out. The silver stands in the fire. The precious stone, it stands in the fire. But for those who kind of live their life for themselves and not for Jesus, even though they were saved, their lives that were just kind of built with wood and hay and straw, and that's all they contributed to the kingdom of God, those things will be burned up. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That's why the old school preacher said that some people in heaven are gonna smell like smoke, like they just kind of barely made it through. All the stuff they did in life just kind of burned up. It didn't really matter. Everything was motivated by self and not for the kingdom of God. They made it to heaven, but there was no reward there at all. So how we live this life, what we do with our time, our talents, our treasures for the kingdom, for the gospel causes, for Jesus' sake, it earns us rewards. It doesn't earn us salvation. Let me be very clear. No work that you can do will earn you salvation, but works we can do in the name of Christ can earn you, because you're saved, a crown that we will joyfully lay right back down at the feet of Jesus when he gives us that reward, he gives us that crown. Heaven will be joyful for all believers, but not the same for all believers. Let's keep reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, great transition word. We've just heard we're gonna stand before Christ we're gonna stand before his glory, before his majesty. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, the fear of standing before his greatness, of giving account for our lives, we, Paul says, we persuade others. But what we are, what, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. What Paul is trying to do right here is reconcile with, with the church at Corinth. They've been at odds. The church at Corinth's been upset with Paul. So Paul says, no, I want you to know that I, I stand rightly before God. And I hope that if you look deep in your spirit, you know that that's true, verse 12. So if we, we are not committing ourselves to you again, but we're giving you cause to boast about us so that you may, may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Remember these super apostles have shown up on the scene there in Corinth and they're saying, don't listen to Paul. He is so unimpressive. He is unimpressive in his appearance. He is unimpressive in his speech. So we don't want you to, to, to listen to him, but Paul is saying, no, we don't boast about outside appearances. We talk about what's in the heart, verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, which basically means if we're crazy, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So they were living for Christ, for, for the sake of Christ, Christ who died, Christ who was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us, Christian, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We are the voice for Christ. We are the emissary for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. My second point today, Paul is talking here about reconciliation. First, he saw this earlier. He wants to reconcile with the Corinthian Christians He writes about the reconciliation that God has provided in Christ to bring us close. Then he begins to talk about our ministry of reconciliation. Every Christian in this house today, you have the ministry of reconciliation, of moving people who are away from God toward God. The word reconcile just means to, to bring together after separation. In fact, if you have reconciliation, it means at one point you had alienation. There was once this gap, there was once this chasm, there was once this difference, there was once this alienation, but now there's reconciliation, these these opposite sides being brought together after separation. Let me show you three things here. First of all, God's love compels us to love others. Paul was so gracious and so patient with, with the church there at Corinth. And you saw, again, back in verse 11, 12, and 13, Paul is reminding them how he feels toward them, how much he, he loves them. He's like, if I'm, if I'm in my right mind at all, it's for you. Like, I, I, I love you. I want to see you do well. And then we see in verse 14, the very beginning of verse 14, if your Bible's still open, it's a great phrase. Perhaps you've heard it before. For the love of Christ controls us. Your translation might say, for the love of Christ compels us. It's a great Greek word picture here of a river with the banks on either side. And the banks of that river, it guides that river. Paul is saying here the same of Christ's love. It's Christ's love that that controls us. It's Christ's love that that guides us. Like the banks of a river control the, the river in the same way the love of Christ should control our life. It's Christ's love that that sets the target of our life. It's Christ's love that sets the direction of our passions. It's Christ's love that controls our motivations. How can love be that compelling? We see the answer in verse 14 and 15 because Christ has died for us. Christ has died to pay for the sins of humanity and his death has become that required death for all to pay for their personal sin. Spiritually, what we see here is that all who trust in Christ died when he died. Basically, here's what Paul is saying. It's easy to love others when we realize how deeply we have been loved ourselves. It is easier to love others in our city who think differently than you do, who vote differently than you do, when you realize how much God has poured out his love on you and on me. It's easier to quickly forgive others. It's easier to show grace to others. It's easier to show patience to others when we realize how much grace has been poured out on us. I think I preached this about two years ago. If you weren't here, I'll tell you. If you've slept since then, I'll tell you as well. I I said to this congregation, only be as patient with others as God has been patient with you. I know, um, I mean, it just, you feel that one, don't you? 
Like I, I, I can't even imagine the amounts of patience God has had to display toward me. And in that same regard, we should be patient with others. So Paul is reminding us right here that it's easy to love others when we realize how much that we've been loved. Look at verse 15. So we no longer live because of this love. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus who for the sake of others died and was raised. Let me tell you what it doesn't say here that I think is kind of important in our culture today. It doesn't say we live for others, nor does it even say that we live for love. Even pagans can do that. Instead, we live for Jesus. So our love for others has to be founded in the bedrock of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Otherwise, it's a lesser love, a weaker love, a non-compelling love. Secondly, this is good news. God can redeem any person and any situation. God can redeem, he can reconcile any person, he can reconcile and redeem any situation. Go back and let's read again, verses 16, 17, and 18. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The beginning of verse 18, all of this is from God. So in other words, no one is too far gone. No one in this house today, no one watching online today is too far gone. We can't judge people by their outside appearance. This is what Paul says. We can't judge people according to, their, to, the, to the physical, to their flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ in that way, we just looked at Christ. Remember Christ really, according to the, the prophecies of Isaiah, he was really not that much to behold. There was not much in his appearance that drew us to him. So we once regarded Christ in that same way. We just kind of judged him from, from the outside. But what Paul is saying here is you really can't judge people by their outside appearance and what it appears they're going through and then think that they can't be made new. The key word here is in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, not just the religious, not just those who grew up in church, not just those who had their act together, not just those who live in the South, not just those who try their best to behave, not just those who have tried all kinds of, of, of moral change in their lives. This says if anyone is in Christ, so that means you may be filled with sin today, filled with rebellion today, so far away from God, but God can create something new in you. This is why it says in verse 17, the literal reading of verse 17 from the Greek is, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Can God put your life back together? New creation. Can God put your marriage back together, your family back together? New creation. Can God get you out of your addictions and your grief and your self-centeredness? New creation. The old can be gone and the new can come. And some of you may be here today, you need that new life today. You need new life in Christ where everything that has been, you've been involved in in your life, all the addictions, all the sin, all the rebellion, that can be gone and the new can come. There is no ash nor destruction that God cannot turn into beauty. There's no song of sadness that you may be singing today that God can't change into songs of joy and songs of, of gladness. There's no clothing of heaviness and discouragement that you may have on today that God can't refit you with garments of praise. God can turn anything around in your life. New creation. 
Don't think there is no hope. There is always hope, hope of a new life, hope of a new start in Christ. There's always hope because of Jesus. Lastly, God puts our sin on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness on us. This is what we see in verse 21. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin. It's not just that Christ died for our sin, Christ became our sin. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin, the one who knew no sin, so that in Christ, you and I might become the righteousness of God. God puts our sin on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness on us. This is the essence of our salvation. In fact, Helen, I would say this is Christianity. Not just that our sins are forgiven, that would be amazing enough, but now we have Jesus's righteousness. In other words, we have the same standing with God, the same right standing with God that Jesus has with his own father. So if you, if you turn to Jesus, your sins are gone, praise the Lord, but also Christ's life now is in you and his righteousness is wrapped all around you. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. Our imperfection for the perfection of Jesus. Our dirtiness for his purity. Our old life for Jesus' new life. Our weakness for his strength. Our sin for his righteousness. Would you stand with me, please? And can I ask you that question again? Are you here today needing new life? Are you here today and you just want all the old to be gone? Maybe you have finally come to the recognition that you cannot deal with your own sin, your own past, your own shame, your own heaviness. Today, you can receive new life by turning to Jesus. In the next few moments, we'll have some staff here at the front and maybe at Vacation Bible School this year. Maybe you gave your life to Christ and we want you to come and just tell, tell one of the staff members here, I'm a new creation. And maybe you gave your life to, to Christ at preteen camp, or maybe any of our students that are in here, you gave your life to, to Christ at Sunday's camp this past week. We need to be able to rejoice in that. And the old is gone. Behold, everything is new. You are a brand new creation. Come and tell us what Christ has done. But this isn't just about kids and vacation Bible school, adults. Are there some here today that you're longing for new life? longing for a new start, longing for all the old to be gone and behold, everything to be made new in your life. Would you like today to be reconciled where there was once separation between you and the God of the universe, your creator, because of the cross of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, you can know this God and have right standing with him, the same right standing that Jesus himself has with God. So perhaps today, adults, maybe you've been churched for a long time, but you have no idea if you're saved. I encourage you to come and tell one of us here, I'm, I'm ready for new life. I'm ready for new creation. The other offer I'd give to all of you, maybe you have a friend, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, a coworker that does not know Christ. And you'd wanna come and pray. We wanna come and pray for their salvation. Come and to ask God to, to reconcile that loved one, the one that you love so much to himself through Jesus. And we'd love to pray with you here at the front if you wanna come and kneel and just pray for, for the lost, for the unsaved in your world, in your life, in your sphere. 
But today, if you're looking for life, you can find new life in Christ. Let's sing about this. Won't you please come?